0: This Hawani, Ariel and I wanted
1: to let you know that each and every week, I'm part of a great program called The Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mindenhall and Pete C. Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then.
0: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays. And same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live. Same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit TheRinger.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present. In select states, gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit TheRinger.com slash RG.
2: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.
0: Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Friday edition, a basic Friday edition of New York, New York, with yours truly, JJ Johnson Stremsky. Rocking and rolling right here on the Ringer and the Ringer Podcast Network. And it it kind of feels weird, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that we're getting ready for a Friday and we're like not coming off the heels of a postseason game for either the Knickerbockers or the New York Rangers. Like uh, it it kind of threw me off today saying, all right, it's eight o'clock at night and we're waiting an hour until the Golden State Warriors. And the Los Angeles Lakers tip it off. That's how busy it has been here in New York City over these last couple weeks. And the baseball, let's be honest, has kind of gotten buried throughout the month of April because of the Nick Madness and the Nick Fever and because of the fact that you had all three hockey teams in the postseason. But can we acknowledge what an out-and-out mess Both New York baseball teams find themselves in a month and change into this season. Is it okay to do that? And I'm starting with the team that played on Thursday afternoon. Trust me, we'll get to my team. Jacko's going to join us. I don't care if they won two out of three against the Cleveland Guardians. They are an absolute hot mess. They are so delusional. They are so out of touch. It is pathetic. But I want to start with the Mets. The Mets played one of the worst teams in the American League this week. The Detroit Tigers stink. That is a bad, bad, bad baseball team. And the Mets found a way to make the Tigers not only look good, to go and get swept in three straight games by that Tiger team is a disgrace. It is an out-and-out disgrace. And let's call it like it is. Since the Mets returned, Not even from the West Coast trip. I should rephrase that. Since the Mets left Chavez Ravine,
3: they have played miserable baseball. They
0: lose Verlander's debut. And you know what? Not going to kill Verlander. First start, five innings, two runs. Gave up the two runs early. Settled in. Pitched much better. First start of the year. Let's not get nuts with Justin Verlander. Okay? I am going to get nuts with the idea that the Mets get shut out, though by the Tigers, and did absolutely nothing in the two games offensively in this series. And you know what you see with the Mets? When Lindor and Alonso don't hit, they don't win. Pete was red hot, hitting bombs like crazy. Can cool off a little bit. It's inevitable. There's nothing to be shaming Pete Alonso on. That was bound to happen. But then who is going to step up in the absence of Peter Alonso? Well, Lindor for the first month of the year has been terrible. I know he's got four or five bombs. whoop de doo he's hitting 200. And the Mets, and I say this all the time with Frankie, and I got on him in his first year. He played really well in his second year. He's getting paid to be one of the best players in all of baseball. So maybe I'm being unreasonable in holding Lindor to a certain standard. Because last year, he was a really, really good Met. You get that year from Francisco Indoor this year, you're going to be very, very happy about things. But I hold him to an insanely high standard. Mets are paying him a gazillion dollars. He's got to step it up. He's in 212 right now. Striking out, leaving guys on base, been brutal. And then the bottom of the order, listen, you're not getting much. Can is not giving you much. Escobar, when he's in there for Beatty, it's been awful. Alvarez is in 200. That's a really piss-poor week from the New York Mets. But the biggest problem to me, not the offense at the moment, that's like the elephant in the room that I'm really concerned about. And I got into it with a couple of Mets fans who were trying to tell me, oh, it's no big deal. What are you talking about, JJ? Overreacting a little bit. I'm really worried about Scherzer. Scherzer had over a week after the cuzzy, sticky stuff fiasco in Los Angeles. He was
3: is not the word.
0: Pedestrian's not the word. His stuff looked flat. He had absolutely no command. He had absolutely no clue what was going on with the cutter. And I'm sorry, Max Scherzer is pushing 40 years old. He has not thrown the ball well this year. Don't sit there and say, oh, well, fast shit out against the Padres. Please, that was a grind for him in that story. I have not seen anywhere close to the dominant Scherzer stuff that we saw last year. I haven't seen it. And with the way he's finished up the last two years and with his age being what it is, I'm very alarmed about Scherzer. And the Mets need Scherzer to be great. See, that's what everybody is missing. It's not a matter of, oh, well, he's going to straighten it out. I would hope so. I I would hope that he could be an above-average big-league pitcher. I would freaking hope so. The Mets need Scherzer and Verlander to be amazing for this team to go and be a championship team. That's how they set up. They're built around 240-something, 38, 39-year-old-something pitchers. And if I got the ages wrong, I don't give a crap. but You know what I mean. Close enough. And I'm worried about Scherzer. Can Scherzer go and pitch to a 3-7, 3 Yeah, sure. But is Scherzer going to be great when you need him the most? Is he going to dominate? You're paying him to dominate. You need him to dominate. If he's going to be a five and five, five five-inning two-run, five-inning three-run type of pitcher, the Mets got serious problems because the rest of their rotation right now is hurting. Their bullpen is not particularly deep. And that's with really good work out of David Robertson. And I think it's pretty obvious. What you have in the American League East and the National League East, the Braves are much better than the Mets. As of right now, They're much better. Where are the Mets better than the Atlanta Braves? The Brave lineup is way deeper. The Braves pitching, they got more answers. The Braves are a better baseball team than what they were a year ago. And they beat out the Mets. And I don't know if the Mets are as good as they were a year ago. Both baseball teams are kind of in this position where we could be sitting here Memorial Day both the and both are dead in their respective divisions. That's not outlandish. The Mets, they need to turn this around from a division perspective very quickly because I think the Braves are the sort of team that can go running high. Just like, and it kind of transitions me, into what we have coming up each of the next two weekends for the New York Yankees. The Yankees now have seven games with Tampa Bay. The Yankees, believe it or not, won two out of three against the Cleveland Guardians. stunning because they flushed the game down the toilet on Monday because the manager was just beyond incompetent with the way he handled Herman. We had to do uh, a lot of Yankees on our Ranger Devil Game 7 show because I was so disgusted with how that ninth inning played out. And then I got Boone yesterday in the game, yanking Marinaccio after 24 pitches with two outs and nobody on. He can't wait to get Clay Holmes into the game. And I know Brian Cashman is the bigger problem. And Brian Cashman, we'll get to his comments in a moment, and how tone-deaf and how silly and how nonsensical they were. But the Yankee manager is so bad and is so in over his head. And for those of you who give him a pass, including many members of my brother in the media, shame on you. Like, watch the games. The guy is not good at his job. It's not personal. He is not a good big league manager. He has zero feel for the game. Zero. Monday and Wednesday were a microcosm but then I got to hear Cashman. We're a championship operation. Brian, Brian, I know you have these sit downs and these little powwows and you- you've seen turnarounds in the past. I get it. Xin Ming Wang and 2009. And you know, you have a winning year every year. What they do. The Yankees have not, forget about winning. They have not been to a World Series since 2009. Do not lecture me and do not lecture the fan base around the idea that, oh, everything is going to be fine in Yankee land because we're the best. See, that's the problem with the Yankees. It's a big problem. They think we're the idiots. They really do. Their front office, their GM, the manager, we're the idiots. How dare you question us? How dare you complain about us? Yeah, I am going to complain about you. You're the
3: Yankees. The Yankees. The idea that your process and your methods and
0: the way you do things is holy than now. And it's the way of the force on May the Fourth, might I add. In Major League Baseball, don't lecture me with that bullshit. You haven't won a World Series and been to a World Series in 13, going on 14 years. And you're about to be den burying the division. Cause the Yankees right now, or nine games back at Tampa. They got seven games coming up over the next two weeks. No Judge, no Stanton, no Rodon, no Severino.
3: If the Yankees play well,
0: four and three would be a miracle. Three and four, honestly, they kind of held their own. You're going to kill the Yankees, they go three and four with the team they're running out there against Tampa with the way Tampa's looked and with the way Tampa's played this year? Eh. Not going to kill him for that, but three or four you're ten games back. And if it's worse than that, well, we're talking about the wild card before we even hit my birthday. May 15th, you should not be dead and buried in the division as the New York freaking Yankees on May the 15th. We are heading down that slippery slope. I am very fearful for what you're going to see with the Yankees in Tampa this weekend. They've never played well there to begin with. so. Say a prayer over the next few days. Light a couple of candles. I know I'll be uh, my Miami. Maybe lighting those candles outside a hotel room in State College, Pennsylvania, but whatever. Now, before we get to calls, the NBA killed us with this scheduling. And maybe it's a good thing for Randall. Maybe it's a good thing for Bronson. Who knows? Maybe it's a good thing for Jimmy Butler. Having to go from Tuesday to Saturday. In an NBA playoff series. It's just hideous. It's absolutely hideous. And I get it. They want all the, sk- the games and the schedule. All the games on the same wavelength. What the freaking do for TV. Bah-bah-bah-bah-bah. It, it, it's, it's, it's a major buzzkill. Now, game three. The Knickerbockers showed you a much-needed counterpunch. Down six, seven minutes to go. Heat, backups, and... Their plethora of three-point shooters, the Vincents, the Martins, the Kevin Loves of the world are killing you. And the Knicks weathered that storm, and Brunson was great down the stretch, and Hort finally came alive, and they ended up winning the game. But my big takeaway now is we get ready for game three. The Knicks are not winning this series without a monster contribution from one Julius Randle. And I'm encouraged by what I saw in game two. They clearly need Randle's offense in the half court. I think that is obvious. And I think Miami is going to keep daring the New York Knickerbockers to shoot the three-point shot. They're going to pack the paint. They're going to dare the likes of Barrett and Hart and these swamping and reeling Emmanuel quickly and Grimes and all of these guys to go and make three-point shots. Are the Knicks going to be able to do that? I know they're not going to shoot it as well as Miami is going to be able to shoot it. But how do they counter that here in this series? And to me, it's Randall Because it's what he can give you with interior scoring and what he does in getting Bam out of bio away from the basket, allowing other guys like Barrett, or like Brunson, to penetrate. I think that is a monster key to this series. The next thing to get one in Miami, I think we would all sign on the dotted line for Wednesday night, being back at Madison Square Garden all knotted up into a piece. I think every Knicks fan would sign on the dotted line for that immediately. But it's going to require the Knicks, who have been a very good road team all year, to go and play well against a very feisty and an extremely well-coached Miami Heat basketball team. So buckle up. lot in front of the New York Knickerbockers, and we'll have our live show Saturday after game number three, late afternoon, early evening. We'll have a pod on Sunday. And then we will be in Miami. The flight is booked. I will be in South Florida on Monday. Very much looking forward to it. Get a little sun. Maybe get a little golfing in the morning. And then we will chat after game four of the Eastern Conference semifinals. All right, we'll take a quick break. Do some voicemails. We'll have a Yankee therapy session, which is so much needed with Jacko. And then Larry told me he was going to take it easy on me with the trivia. We'll see if he promises uh, on that note. We shall see. All right, Boy Smell's are next. Ooh, hold up. Smell test. Go ahead, sniff those pits. Now, your bits. Feet, toes, come on. <sighs> Ugh.
2: Could be fresher, right? It's all good. Old Spice Total Body Deodorant Spray is gentle enough to use all over your body, giving you 24-7 lasting freshness with daily use, from pits to toes and down below. So every smell test gets a... Ah... <sighs> Shop for Old Spice Total Body Deodorant.
0: Voicemail time. Here we go. 917-382-1151. Get them in for Sunday's show. We'll have Twitter Spaces live on Saturday and Monday after Game 3 and Game 4 for the New York Knicks. All right, Steph. Let's hear it, baby.
4: Hey, JJ. It's Matt from Huntington Beach. I couldn't call in on your live after the Ranger game. I kind of did a minute to collect myself. But in the words of the great Joe Bingo, what a disgrace. Uh, and I know it's been said a few times, I'm sure. I don't know where this team goes from here. Uh, you have a lot of players locked up, a lot of no-movement clauses. And uh, I don't know. I mean, like the talk around town is the coach. And I'm not a guy who is into a team firing a coach every two years. just like the Rangers are doing. But there's a couple points on the coach. I was listening to some highlights from Breakdown Day, and Galant says he doesn't understand why people are talking about him losing his job. He had one bad week. One bad week? It's the only week that counts. It's the only week that counts. So it was a bad week, yes. So I don't know. The players don't seem happy with Galant, but in my opinion also, those players need to play and shut up. Galant doesn't seem to have the room. The Rangers are in some trouble. I think it was a worse loss than a Game 7 loss, really, uh, is most of the time. So we'll see where they go from here. It'll be interesting offseason. What a disgrace. It's a bummer. At least the Yankees are on, but they're also in bad shape. All right, JJ. Thanks, buddy.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Um, Look, it seems like the Rangers' MO with coaching changes over the years has been they alternate between the player-friendly coach, and the guy's going to crack the whip. They'll go from Tom Rennie to a John Tortorella. And then they'll go back to an Elaine Vigneault. And that's kind of been the zig and zag that you've seen from the franchise. I don't know the dynamic well enough between Chris Drury and Gerard Gallant. Gallant was in the conference finals last year. Everybody was singing his praises. The team had a feel-good, fun ride in the Stanley Cup playoffs. This year, they did not. And it feels like with the trades that were made, with the Rangers going to the conference finals last year and now taking a monster step back and losing in the first round, people want somebody to go and lose their job. I think that relationship is going to tell you all you need to know. If Drury believes in Gallant, he'll be back next year as the head coach. But if they're looking for a scapegoat, I don't think the GM is going anywhere. And I think it will be the head coach. That's what it boils down to. If they need a scapegoat and Dolan says we need a scapegoat, it's going to be the coach. Is Drury going to be banging the table saying this guy's got to stay? Or is it more important for Drury to say, you know what, I got my job. We'll go and get a different head coach. This mix, this feel, this flow is just not there. That'll be a very telling answer from the Rangers over the next couple of days. And quite frankly, I know I'm giving you a very uh, laissez-faire answer here. I'm not going to be surprised either way. My gut, I'm going to say he stays. I think most people think he's going to go. I'm going to go the other way here. I'm going to say Gerard Gallant stays, but I'm not going to be stunned if we're doing a reaction pod at some point next week talking about, you know, the Rangers needing somebody to atone for what happened in this first round. All right, who's next?
5: KJ, this is Jerry from Long Island. I just watched the end of the eighth inning, so maybe the Mets come back in the ninth. But either way, this is disgusting, or as you would say, pathetic from the Mets offense. This is not a championship roster if you lose three straight in two days against the goddamn Detroit Tigers. I mean, they're making Eduardo the Rodriguez look like he's like Justin Verlander in his prime. and his problem. Verlander, you know, he did find two home runs at the beginning, but, you know, five innings. I don't mind that. What I mind is his offense is inept, and it's been a horrible two weeks of offensive production, and you get the eight runs and a loss against the Braves, and other than that, Nothing the last week. Everything is quiet. And I'm just, you know, last year they got up to a great start, and then they kind of simmered up. So I'm hoping that the bad start this year will make for a better summer and hopefully fall. But you got to get worried if this team's going to be 500 going into, you know, early May. Not what you hope for in a very competitive division. And I'm just disgusted by the lack of effort on the offensive part.
0: I totally understand that. Getting shut out by the lowly Detroit Tigers is a major problem. And you don't love the Mets against left-handed pitching. You don't. It feels like this lineup is way weaker against left-handed pitching for whatever the reason. Maybe that's neutralizing Nimmo and McNeil and whatever the case may be. You want a positive? Beatty is a positive. He's a guy I want to see play. He's a guy I want to see do his thing. If Beatty and Alvarez can lengthen out that bottom of the order, the Mets lineup looks a little different. We saw that in the Atlanta games earlier this week. But they go as the two top guys go. Listen, sometimes baseball is very simplistic. For the Mets, it's very simplistic. When Alonzo and Lindor hit, they win. And when those guys don't hit, the way this lineup is built, they struggle to score. They're going to hit. I'm down on Windor right now, but he's going to hit. He's going to come around. The elephant in the room for me with the Mets, They got to get Scherzer figured out. Because if this is the version of Max Scherzer we're going to have, the Mets are not winning anything this year. It's really simple as that. Who's next?
2: What up, JJ? I'm calling from Vietnam, so don't mind the motorbike. Uh, Just one quick question about the game yesterday. Uh, Do we, you know, consider starting quickly in that two spot? Because obviously he's not contributing the way he should be. Um, He's a guy who who needs to get going. And I think that starting him is probably the only way or the last chance you have to figure him out because what's the point of continuing past Miami if he's not going to be a big contributor for us? So that's all, JJ. Love the show. Take care.
0: Well, I love the support and the love from the country of Vietnam. Holy moly. New York wide, nationwide, worldwide. What can I say? Love that. Absolutely love that. As far as quickly starting, I'm not messing with the starting lineup right now. I know you're going to make the argument maybe putting quickly in the lineup in the starting lineup is going to get him going. I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that theory. I want him getting touches. I want him running the second unit, which he did a very, very good job of for a good chunk of this regular season. I know he started in some spurts for the Knicks in the absence of Jalen Brunson, but uh, for game three, at least, I'm not going in that direction. And I got to wonder what quickly. If he's going to keep shooting poorly, and I know the Knicks need him, and I know he was a big part of what they did in a regular season, but he only played nine minutes in game two. Are we going to see him play that amount in game three, maybe even less? Whether the Knicks are looking for a different answer? It's tough to figure. It's hard to fathom what has happened here with Quickly in this postseason. He's not played well. He's not played well at all. Barrett, you look at after game two in Cleveland, he's been great. Didn't have a great second half against Miami in game two. But for the most part, Roger Barrett's done a fantastic job. It's waiting for quickly to get going. But you can't keep him on the floor for 30 minutes if he's going to be in net negative. Can't do it. Not going to fault, and I'm not going to fight Tom Thibodeau on that. Let's take one more. Let's hear it, Steph. Hey,
3: JJ. It's Anthony from
2: Tom's River. Um, Normally I have a question for you. This may just even be a rant. Uh, I know someone's got a comment on this Aaron Boone, you know, these baffling decisions over the past couple of games. And it just drives me crazy. And especially in recent memory of the terrible decisions and the decisions that they constantly stick with on a yearly basis, you know, us as fans. and, And I know you guys in the media, we see this all the time with like what they're doing and what they're still sticking with. Like, Glaber Torres, we knew, couldn't play shortstop. They dragged that out all year. IKF, we knew he couldn't play shortstop, and they backed it up with all these ridiculous defensive metrics. They were late to the party on that, too. And now with this Clay Holmes thing, look, I know Clay Holmes had a wonderful start to the season, and he and, and he pitched great. But you clearly knew towards the end of the season, he was such a liability. The guy doesn't have control of the plate, which is probably the last thing you want to do for half our closers to bring him in in the ninth inning with no control or just not understanding what he's going to do. And then you continue to do this time after time this year where he not right to be put in these high-leverage situations. And we see it, and I just don't understand why Boone and Cashman are just stuck on just treading water and just sticking with these decisions and not, like, adapting on the fly. And it's just, you know, it's frustrating as a Yankee fan. I, I Obviously, I think they'll write the ship still because, you know, last year they got off to a hot start and then they kind of like hit a lull in August. Maybe they'll do a reverse course of action this year. But it just drives me crazy. Um, no question, just a rant and uh, just want to hear your thoughts on it. All right, JJ, thanks.
0: They are stubborn to a fault. They are stuck in their ways to a fault. That, to me, is one of my biggest problems if not my biggest problem, with the Yankee regime, where we stand in 2023. We're in a position in which the Yankees, they believe what they're doing is working. They look at their last seven, eight years and say, you know what? We've had a good run. We've been in the American League Championship Series a couple of times. We've been in the playoffs every year.
3: We're right there. We're as good as anybody. You're not.
0: The bar has been lowered. That's my issue with the Yankees. That's my problem with the Yankees. Shame on them for that. The idea that the Yankees are running out of championship operation, based upon what? What Yankee fan in their heart of hearts honestly believes that they are running out of championship operation each of the last seven years? They're not. And they're moving further away and not closer to that goal. Looked like they were getting closer last year, and then they got humbled by the Astros. They look like they belonged on the same field as the Houston Astros. And my fear is, we're going to see them with the Tampa Bay Rays, and we're going to be saying the same thing in a couple of weeks. That's 11, 12, 13 games out of first place. Yankees got to look themselves in the mirror and be real with themselves. They really do. Speaking of some Yankee therapy, it's needed. Our buddy Jacko. It's been a while. It's long overdue. He joins us next. You know, I've gotten a lot of requests in this Yankee tailspin over the last couple of weeks. Where is Jacko? Is Jacko doing all right? Is Jacko hanging in? Um, I think a much-needed Yankee vent session is in order, my friend, even though the Yankees miraculously won two out of three against the Cleveland Guardians. That's neither here nor there. The team is a hot mess. The season has been rotten and miserable. And I hope everything else is going okay. It's good to see you. What's happening?
6: It's good to see you too, JJ. You know, I got to tell you, I was doing something in the kitchen before we started recording. And I sliced my finger. So even when you were talking about the Yankees on a podcast, you cannot avoid injuries. I was going to say, you
0: fit right in. You said, fit right in. Bader, anytime, Peraza, Judge, that's right. Jacko. Yeah, it sounds about that's right. right.
6: All the greats. and so, But unlike Carlos Redon, I'm going to play through it. So I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. One of these days, you and I are going to have a happy podcast about the Yankees. I think we had one last year, after they got off to their hot start, right early on in the uh, season. But then they then we had too many bad, uh, too many way too many bad podcasts uh, where we were not bad podcasts. They were great. I mean, we were miserable. We were sad. That's what I meant. The Jeter ones Um, were good. But anytime we talk about the current Yankees, it's never a happy occasion, is it?
0: No, it sure beats us down, whether we're talking about Brian Cashman being delusional, whether we're talking about Aaron Boone being completely clueless and in over his head and making me go uh, red to the face on television. I didn't have (laughs) this conversation with you um, in a podcast setting, but going into the year, Jacko, you know, they got off to the insane start last year. We were giddy at the end of June. We were fired up at the end of June, but really in the second half of the year, the Yankees were a 500 baseball team. They had such a big lead that it really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things in the American League East. Mm -hmm. They barely got by Cleveland. They got absolutely Mm -hmm. smoked by the Astros and embarrassed by the Astros. But where were you going into this year with the Yankees? Were you glass half full, judges back, Rizzo's back, they got Rodon, or did you look at it and say, it's the same shit, here we go again?
6: I I didn't think they did enough now to me a good i obviously they had a resigned judge and I was happy about that I was happy that they brought Rizzo back but I think one of the key things that they should have done and I, and maybe he wanted to go elsewhere but these guys always listen to money is that they should have brought back ben Intendi because ben Intendi is a guy that actually gets on base he actually hits for a decent average he's a contact guy which is what they sorely sorely lack and he went to the white sox so then you look at what did the Yankees do in the offseason they, they brought back the exact same team. And what they did was they added Anthony Volpe, right, who has all the hype in the world. That's great. And they went out and got Carlos Rodon So you say on paper, on paper, and unfortunately, they don't play the games on paper, but they have Cole, they have Rodon they have Nestor, they have Seve. That's probably the best, arguably one of the best one through four in the game, right? So you're like, well, the pitching is improved, but the problem last year and for the last five years has not been the pitching by and large. It's been an anemic offense that's home run or nothing, that strikes out too much, that has the has a pathetic batting average with runners in scoring position. So you want to get your hopes up, but then you look at, the, look at the team and you say, this is a team that scored nine runs in four games against the Astros last year. They batted 162 in that series, and the plan is we're just going to run back essentially the same offense and, and hope for better results. Like Volpe... God bless him. He, the kid's playing okay. He's exciting on the base paths. You know, he's nine for nine or 10 for 10 in steals. He makes a little, some things happen, but you can't count on him to be this offensive juggernaut. That's going to make a difference With from what they've sorely lacked in the last few years. So it, so I looked at it realistically and I'm like, they haven't done anything. And after they signed judge famously, as discussed yesterday at the press conference, I guess it was Hal that came out and said, we're not done yet. So I foolishly got my hopes up. Thinking well, they're not done. He's going to spend money. They're going to make a move. They're going to make it. You know, they're going to make a trade. They're going to do something that's going to be like a semi, if not a blockbuster, at least a big, huge move to go with Judge. And at the end of the day, they did not do that. You said it best. Right after that
0: Judge presser, right after the Rodon presser, and I was fired up about the Rodon move. They added to the rotation. He's a big arm. He's got big talent. The problem is, like many other guys on this team, Jacko, he's made a glass. And the guy is always freaking hurt. But how Steinbrenner said, we're not done. But yet, you looked at the rest of the offseason, and they were done. But I want to take it back, Jacko, to last offseason. Because, you know, I was asked this, I think, yesterday. What was the biggest mistake that Brian Cashman made in the offseason? And you hit on it with Ben Attendee or not getting a competent, capable left fielder, like they could have gotten, let's say, Conforto from the Mets, now the Giants, or maybe it's Peralta. Like, okay, they could have gotten a capable body, maybe not five Mm -hmm. years of Benintendi, fine. But you go back to last year. This franchise is still stuck in the mud because of the hideous Donaldson IKF trade that they made. That was supposed to be a move, that jump started the team, changed the culture. He's got the yep. edge. It's this, it's that. Well, Jacko, those two guys, and they could have basically just DFA'd Gary Sanchez. They'd have Rochella, who's better than both guys by a significant margin, even though he doesn't exactly knock your socks off. And oh, by the way, you know, we spend a lot of time killing House Steinbrenner. And I understand why. He's not his dad. He kind of looks at it like it's, you know, uh, like he's, he's running a, a hedge traveler. fund. Yeah, being counter right. hedge fund, whatever you want to call it, he doesn't have the George mentality. But when right. you give a guy like Donaldson twenty-five million dollars, I don't want to hear about
6: payroll. That's incompetence from the general manager. It's still killing him, Jacko. It's it's gross incompetence. I mean, in retrospect, that was one of the all-time bad trades, and 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 they compounded it because the you know they went out. The goal of this was to get IKF, and the Twins. I think said you got to take Josh Donaldson's albatross of a contract on which for some reason Cashman was fired up about thinking he was an enormous upgrade over Gio Urshela, which he turns out he's worse than Gio Urshela. And then, you, so, okay, IKF is going to be the bridge to Volpe or to Peraza or whoever the shortstop of the future is. And then what do they do? They pick up his option, right? And so now we have $25 million of Josh Donaldson, who's on the IL and has been all season. But I can't say that's hurting him because he's awful and can't hit to save his life anyway. That freed up the Twins money to bring back Correa after all the Correa stuff with the Giants and the Mets and everybody else. And so they have Correa, who I know he's off to a slow start, but he's a competent major league player. So that helps the Twins. And it hurts the Yankees because Josh Donaldson is not only awful, but then he has all the controversy of, you know, the way he he's, you know, the flipping the bats and the Tim Anderson, Jackie Robinson thing all the nonsense of stuff that they just did not need that he brought and is not a good enough player to deal with that kind of baggage. They get stuck with him. And now, and it's still, you know, the back to the left fielder thing, the Yankees are the only major league team. I don't even know if high school teams who just decide, Oh, you can just play the outfield. It's easy. We're going to make Miguel Andahar an outfielder. We're going to make Cabrera, who's an infielder into an outfielder. And now we're going to make IKF into an outfielder. And he, you know, he's a hack out there. He runs into Bader last night through no fault of his own because his whole career he's been an infielder. And now they just decide, oh, well, you, you play baseball. You can play any position. Should we have Cole catch a few games? I mean, it's ridiculous how you have a $283 million payroll and you don't have a left fielder. I mean, you do have one. You have Aaron Hicks, who's also awful, and you're paying him $10 million a year talking about wasting money. You know, when you look at their $283 million payroll, 25 of it is for Josh Donaldson, 10 of it is for Hicks, and five of it is for IKF. That's $40 million right there off the top that you might as well set on fire. So to even, I mean, no. now it counts as part of the payroll, but you might as well set that money on fire because you'd get more, at least you get warmth from that, a big pile of $40 million burning. it would be nice. It'd be more fun to watch than Aaron Hicks. And explain absolutely. to me,
0: how is Aaron Hicks still on this team? Like, I get it. They owe him a ton of money. It's so embarrassing now, Jacko. He doesn't want to be there. The Yankees clearly don't want him. It's this like awful, toxic partnership that needs to come to an end. And yet anytime you're watching a Yankee game and the game is on the line, Aaron Hicks is either in the outfield screwing something up, or he's running the bases, or he's hitting fifth or sixth in the Yankee order. Like, I I get they don't have a ton of options right now because of how barren everything is, because all the youngsters are basically up here. Anybody worthwhile is already
6: up here. But like enough is enough. With Aaron Hicks, he should not be a Yankee anymore. This is the thing with Cashman over the last maybe five or 10 years, where he and and because he has job security for life, I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. It wouldn't kill him to admit a mistake, right? It wouldn't say, like, ah, we tried a flyer on Aaron Hicks. You know, he was a high draft pick. We thought we could do some things with him. It didn't work out. It's time for him to go. Just throw the fans a bone. Like he should be thrown to the wolves. The fans hate him. He hates being a Yankee. He doesn't like it. He gets booed every time he sets foot at the plate. It's one thing if he's striking out all the time, which is what he does. But now he can't even play defense. He's awful in the outfield. He's made some glaringly bad plays. So it's like, what what are we doing here? <laughs> it's like you're in a bad relationship. What, what are we still going out with each other for? Let's just go our separate ways. You know, like everybody will be happier. Cashman, but Cashman won't admit a mistake. And, and, you know, if you're Hal, you're already eating 25 million on Donaldson, who's worthless. Is it, would it kill you to eat 10 million on, on uh, Hicks, who's also worthless? I mean, let's just cut bait at this point. It's ridiculous how he's still on the team. You know, Jacko, you mentioned the job for life. And that's basically
0: what it is for Brian Cashman. Because I get as ticked off and you get as ticked off as anybody when it comes to decisions that are made and the overall arrogance from the organization. I mean, Cashman coming out yesterday and basically saying, yeah, we have a... We have a championship operation. Brian, you haven't been in a World Series. Forget about winning it. You haven't been in a World Series in 13 years. Don't lecture me on championship operation. This is not 2005. Don't don't sit there and tell me that this is, you know, a couple of years away from the glory years and all the championships. It's a long time for the New York Yankees. But the GM and the manager, as fed up as we are with both of them, the harsh reality is, Jacko, they're not going anywhere. Right? Like, I think even if the Yankees bottom out this year, which they won't, by the way, the no, Yankees will enough. go and do what they always do. They'll get into yep. the playoffs. They'll win 90 games, but they will flame out early. They will not have any chance of winning a championship. And it will be the same old conversation that we've had for each of the last 13 years. But, like, for all of the frustrations that you and I may have, the bottom line is this GM is not going anywhere. And if this GM is not going anywhere, then his manager's not going anywhere.
6: No, nothing's going to change. And I mean, that's that's the disgraceful thing is that like the the culture has become, you know, it's like the Dolan Knicks with Isaiah Thomas, where everybody knew it's completely dysfunctional. It's just not working, and you have this stubborn owner who either didn't care or or just is you know it's not going to make any changes because he loves Brian Cashman, and they're gonna, he's going to be there forever. I mean, he he's done so many things. They haven't even. Forget winning a World Series. They haven't been to one in 14 years. And then a couple of years ago, he comes out and says, well, it's like we went in 2017 because the Astros were cheating. Yeah, but the Yankees are not a team of what well, we we almost went or we should have, could have, would have. You didn't. Like, we, it's not, we're not the Colts where we hang AFC finalist banners, you know? This is the New York Yankees. Last year, he gave a press conference at the end of the year when he got a couple of hard questions about, you know, does anything in the analytics department need to change? or any-? And he said no, because the process worked. It's not. He literally had a quote where it said, "It's not the result that matters; it's the process." Like that's, you know, that's like saying to the captain of the Titanic, "Well, you hit that iceberg. The result wasn't there, but the process worked because you were driving the boat." I mean, wh- what are we doing? And they have this, they have this notion now. It's like their mantra that that well, we just, the key is to just get in the playoffs, and everything in the playoffs is luck. It's all luck. And they he, he's come out and said that. Oh, it's just luck. And our luck. One of these years, the luck's gonna go with us. They hired Omar Minaya this year. And I read a quote from him immediately when he was with the Yankees. And he says something about, oh, Cashman's the best. Yankee fans don't understand how spoiled they are. And, you know, the postseason is totally luck. What business? Like, Who leads their life? Like, well, it's all just luck. Like, do you sit around as a media mogul, as a a New York sports journalism star and say, I'm not going to call any guests today. I'm going to just hope the luck comes and they're going to call me. You know, at a car dealership, did you sell any cars? Well, we weren't lucky. Maybe next month I'll sell a car. I'll sell a house as a real estate agent this is the New York Yankees and your, your, your thing now is eh, the motto is like, eh, shit happens. Like, man, one of these years it'll be us. I mean, I can't believe that's acceptable, but because he's, you know, Hal's third brother or whatever, he, he's never going to get fired. And when you've been there as long as he has, and you have like this institutional rot to now be the New York Yankees and say, eh, one of these years it'll come up lucky and maybe it will, maybe it won't, whatevs. It, it drives me crazy. You know, I wouldn't if they look, if they try and their players fail, they're racked with injuries and there's problems. Okay, but when you have an institutional problem that this is now the mantra of, well, one of these years, I mean, I don't know how you answer that. His father, Hal's father, I'm surprised he hasn't risen from the grave as a zombie because this is so antithetical and as crazy as he was and as many mistakes as he had, he would not live with eh. You know, one of these years, we'll get lucky. He, he would have killed people, let alone fire people. I mean,
0: I would kill for a missive right now. I would kill for a classic George missive going into oh. this Tampa series or right after Monday night's debacle when this incompetent manager is pulling a starter who is cruising after 85 pigeons. Here's the worst part, though, Jacko. And I hear this from certain people who are, quote-unquote, the baseball media types. They mm. look at you and I like we're mm. the crazy people. That drives me insane. This idea that, oh, like I heard it around the SOI newsroom the other day. Brian Cashman is the best GM in the history of baseball. On on what planet can you honestly sit there with a straight face and look at the way the Yankees have been run over the last 13 years and sit there and tell me this guy's better than Branch Rickey? That, That this guy is all of a sudden now better than Theo Epstein, who, by the way, is a zillion times better than Brian Cashman as a GM, and it is not even close. Jacko, we are the dumb ones because oh, you know it's it's so we're hard to get to the playoffs. It's so hard to not have a losing year. Give me a break with this. the The narrative from some of the baseball media giving Cashman and Boone a pass is so nonsensical.
6: But we're we the stupid ones, though, Jack. The, oh, the they dumb think ones. well, they they really like you know if you. I spend too much time on Twitter and a lot of Yankees Twitter and like I I, like if they had any idea of how hated they are, all three of them on Yankees Twitter, at least the Yankees Twitter I follow, like they, they are despised by people that are the true lifeblood fans. Right. I don't mean the corporations that have season tickets or the media that, you know, feeds them all the time. I don't care about that. The true diehard longtime fan despises them, and they can see all these mistakes and the culture of losing that has now become ingrained in the Yankees. And the Yankees have so many advantages, right, playing in New York with their finances, owning a TV network, being the New York goddamn Yankees that players want to play for, the pinstripes, the legacy, the history. I I don't care if you don't. You're not going to win the World Series every year. You're not going to go every year. You should be there more frequently than in f- every fourteen than fourteen years and counting because they're not going this year. Let's face it, they're not going this year, so it's going to be fifteen, and then we're going to and Cashman's still going to be there. He, he is living off the glory that Gene Michael gave him with the Core Four back in the nineties, which were totally Gene Michael teams that were built with all those guys, and he he's won one World Series on his own, essentially two thousand and nine. When they went out and got CC and AJ Burnett and Brian McCann and they spent a fortune in a new stadium and they, they won a World Series by spending money. You and I could have written those checks. You had Arod who was all world in the postseason, probably juiced off the record, but we'll, we'll keep that quiet. But he was all world. You had, you know, you had Jeter still there in his last last hurrah. Th- there's nothing like that now. And and you or I could have written those checks. What has he done to build any kind of a team since then? Or before that, frankly. Because the dynasty years were Tory and the core four, right? And some key pitchers, but he didn't do anything to bring those guys in. It was Bob Watson and Gene Michael. And he's living on that reflected glory. What, what move has he made? What, what minor league prospect have they developed? Okay, they hit on Judge, who's all world. They never liked Judge as a prospect. The ones they've liked were Greg Bird and Gary Sanchez, who were nothing. Glaber Torres was the number one prospect in the game. He's good. He's okay. Has he lived up to that hype like every other number one prospect? Is he Wander Franco? You know, has he lived up to any kind of that hype? I I would say he has not. Clint Frazier was a top five prospect, right? Or a top 10 prospect. What happened with him? Like, Cashman forget trades. I mean, God, we'll go through the the history of trades. You know, every guy he traded for last year at the All-Star break is out. Efros, Trevino, Montes. They're you know, okay, injuries happen, but do they happen to everybody? Like, do we do any due diligence whatsoever in looking at these guys? So, okay, trades you could hit or miss. How about prospects? Can we hit on either prospects or trades? But they don't hit on any. And then and then, you know, the New York media says, Oh, if he got fired tomorrow, the every other twenty-nine other teams would be knocking on his door. Good. That would be the best thing to happen for the Yankees. Go right ahead. And I
0: used to defend Cashman, Jacko. For a long time, I was kind of one of these guys that said, listen, they never bottomed out. They had to go through the rebuilding of losing a Jeter and losing an A-Rod and a Posada and Mariano. Like, that's tough. And I applaud the fact that they stayed respectable. But then when it gets to a point where you are now plateauing and you're trending in the wrong direction and you're not changing the vibe, the feel, the culture of the organization... You're the man most responsible for the Yankees being an underwhelming product. I I think we'll agree on that. Like, it's a cashman problem. Now, that said, it is amazing that you can watch this manager. And he is not getting better at the job, Jacko. He is either just as bad as he was when he started in 2018, or he's getting worse. Between, I, I don't know what was worse. Herman, 86 pitches, a base hit. A two-run game. He can't wait to get Clay Holmes in the game. Or yesterday, with two outs and nobody on, Marinaccio is dealing. Now let's let's go bring Clay Holmes in because our, our notes and our binder says, "Oh well, you know, Marinaccio after 24 pitches, he can't continue to keep pitching. Therefore, we have to go to somebody else." Like it is just. Beyond me, Jacko, and I know we rag on a manager all the time. Anybody who listens to us knows we think he's not very good at his job. And by the way, we're right about that. He's not very good at his job. Anybody who's going to try to tell you otherwise is totally lost. But he, in a nutshell, should not be excused as well from the absolute joke that the Yankees have become because you watch him manage a team day in and day out. It is embarrassing, dude.
6: It's embarrassing. I mean, you got to have a feel for the game. You gotta have a feel for the player, you gotta have a feel for the situation, and he does not. He brings, you know, Herman out of nowhere, right? Because Herman is either he's great or he's horrendous. Well, he's terrible, and, yes. And he was fantastic on Monday night. You know, he gets goes into the ninth inning, he's dealing, right? And they they go to their computers and the computer says, Well, we're worried about him going through the lineup the fourth time. When the guy is dealing, he's got eighty-six or eighty-eight pitches. Okay, if they beat him the fourth time around, I would, if I am a manager, I'd tip my cap. All right, you got us. I would take my chances because he's hot that night, like a hot craps table or something, right? I would ride him. I would ride him until I couldn't, you know, until he gave it up. So they go to Clay Holmes, who's been horrible this whole season, but he is in the computer as the closer. So the computer says, we will bring in Clay Holmes at this time. Boone has no feel for it, brings in Clay Holmes. He probably gets lit up and they lose the game. Right, he he gives. I think he did. He I don't know if he got the loss or he let him tie it up, but whatever. He blew the save. So now, two nights later, and the fans go crazy about this, and he's heard nothing. You know, the team has heard nothing but screaming and yelling on the internet. Not that the fans should manage the team, but obviously, the fans and the media, even to a degree, were like, "This was a horrible move." So, having done that once, what does he do? He does it again last night, and nobody wants to see Clay Holmes. Maybe down the line, Clay Holmes will be the closer, as the computer predicts. But he's not, he doesn't have it now. You got to have a feel. He does not have it now. And maybe he can work his way back in non-high leverage situations where there's a big lead or or they're down a lot. And he can work through the kinks until he gets it back. And then maybe by the end of the year, he's dealing again and he will be the closer. But to bring him in two nights later after he blew it once, and then he blows it again. And at the post-game press conference, he gets asked about it, which I watched. And he's like, oh, Clay Holmes was coming in there. He was coming in. Because that's what the computer told him to do. That's what the front office says. And I don't know if he gets a text or it's on a computer printout before the game. In this situation, Clay Holmes will come in. And Aaron Boone is a guy who's a baseball lifer, right? His brother played. His father played. His grandfather played. They were real baseball men. His father was a great player. They were real baseball men. and they, But he, because he's a new generation and he's analytics and he's going to do what the front office tells him to do, he forgets everything he's learned about feel and about about the timing and knowing the game, and does what the computer tells him, and it's bitten him in the ass twice now. And it's like, I don't understand how you can manage that way. I just don't get it. I, I mean, and there and, and you know the analytics thing, I understand. I'm an old school guy. I'm yelling at clouds. Everybody does analytics, but it appears that the Yankees analytics crew it ain't working. Can we get some new analytics guys? So we try a different Ivy League school in the front office than the one we have now because this one isn't working. It's not. I mean, show me what they've done You know, in 10 years. That, to show, show me what they've done that's been successful. But the process works. Their computers are generating the right algorithms, so the process is working. No championships have been won. No, no pennants have been won, but the, the algorithm is running properly. We're happy with everything.
0: I'll tell you it seems process that's working. The Tampa Bay Rays, they have these sort of nerds. They have these sort of Ivy Leaguers that you and I would die to have in our front office because they have a $50 million payroll, and yet they are leaps and bounds better than the New York Yankees. And Jacko, even though I think both of us are of the belief the Yankees will turn it around, do just enough to make the playoffs, and then do very little in the postseason, They may be officially buried in the American League East these next two weekends because they're not going to have Aaron Judge at Chuck Field. They're not going to have him probably the following weekend at Yankee Stadium. No Judge, no Stanton, uh, no Rodon, still waiting on Severino. (laughs) And we know this. You don't get as many games with Tampa Bay now with this schedule, the way it shakes out. You only get them two times at home, two times on the road. They have seven games with a team they're already nine games back of. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say, Jacko, the American League East, from a Yankees perspective, will be over by my birthday on May the 15th. Do you agree with that?
6: Oh, it's extremely possible. Yeah. The, the way they're playing and the way the Rays are playing, it's oh, it's beyond question that that's possible. I mean, I think Cole pitches at some point and he's, you know, we got to give him props. He's been lights Oh, He's out been awesome. Been he's been so fanta- good. He's been the best pitcher in baseball. He's been fantastic. And you know, you, and I love Judge. He's off to a little bit of a slow start, but I love Judge. And, and I hate to see once more another year in Cole and Judge's primes get ruined here. But that's exactly what's going to happen. And, you know, every every interview that Hal gives, he always is like, well, why do I have to spend a lot of money when the Rays spend, you know, a dollar seventy five, and they're right in the mix every year? Because they obviously have better eggheads than we do, clearly. Like their analytics, that something that their organization is doing is better than the Yankees. Now, you would think that Hal might say, well, we need to make some changes, but he doesn't. He's just like, why don't we do that? And then we don't do anything to change it. But yeah, the Rays could 100% run away with it. I mean, if they're already up, what, eight or nine? And like you say, seven games, you know, the Yankees go two and five there. You know, suddenly you're another five back added to the eight or nine. And you're, you know, you're talking 12, 13, 14 back. And then I know it's early, but, you know, Yogi Berra is laid out there early, you know? So um, it's it's a mess it's a mess and every year except for last year it's like we stumble out of the gate with injuries and poor play and then you know cashman comes out and gives a press conference and you know we're still champs don't count us out it's it's nonsensical at this point it's just anybody that i watched the highlights of that press conference yesterday is there anybody that's still swallowing this line like this propaganda like you know boone had the thing last year well the league's caught up to us a little bit caught up to you what, what do you mean What? what, Where? What have you been leading that they caught you? Give me a fucking break! They live on these false laurels, like they have these opinions of themselves for a team that hasn't even been to a World Series in fourteen years. Like they're this dynasty. It's crazy.
0: It makes you feel like you're living in the bizarre world. It, and here's really the other does. thing,
6: like, you know, people are like, Well, Cashman will make a trade at, at the All-Star Break. Well, one, God help us if he does. But two I was gonna say after last year, I don't know if I want to make it any trade. Right. <laughs> but but two, what are they trading? Like what what prospects do they have that everybody's hot for? You're not gonna trade Volpe and you shouldn't trade Volpe. Let him play. He's the guy, he's the shortstop of the future, let him play. The they Peraza was the guy, the shortstop of the future, and they don't even play him. He he can't even get in there and ahead of Willie Calhoun to DH or ahead of IKF, so he doesn't even play. I don't know that he's a hot prospect. Clark Schmidt was one of their big pitching prospects. Is anybody banging down their door for Clark Schmidt at this point after after what he's done this year? They had Esteban Florial, who's been a prospect forever, and they DFA'd him, and nobody picked him up for free. But now they're going to trade somebody for him. Jason Dominguez is hitting 125 in Double A, the Martian. He's hitting a buck 25. Okay, it's early. He just got moved up. It's one, two, five. Is anybody going to, you're going to get, you're going to take him as a big prospect? I mean, who are they trading? And and yesterday, Cashman's like, our infield is a position of strength. Who in the infield are we trading? Josh? People are banging down the door for Josh Donaldson and his $25 million contract. You know, IKF, is he, is he a hot commodity in the infield? Is he considered an infielder in our, you know, infield depth that people really want IKF? Who are, who? Where is the solution on the horizon? Yeah, they're going to get Judge back. They're going to get Stanton back at some point. Okay, that's going to help the offense, but they're still going to have the problem of no no contact. They don't hit with runners in scoring position. Where is the big bat that they're going to go get? I don't have the answer for you. I don't. And they were hot for Brian Reynolds, and then he's just signed a He got a hundred million dollars from the Pittsburgh Pirates and right. good for the Pirates. They should absolutely. actually pay one of their good players. That's good actually Good for him nice and good see. for the Pirates, absolutely. Good for the fans, good, of for good for a change. Good for a change.
0: Um, I'm putting you on the spot. It is right now, May the fourth. May the fourth be with you, brother. And with <laughs> you. Yes. Will the New York Yankees be a playoff team
6: in twenty twenty three? Yes or no? Probably because of the expanded wild card, and they'll do just enough. They'll, you know, they'll do just enough to get in. I would say yes. I could see them being the second wild card.
0: Isn't that like worst case scenario? Though, like we see, here's the messed up part of this equation. As a f- final thought, you would think if the Yankees missed the playoffs, expanded postseason, everybody gets in. Spend all this money in the offseason, like that should be the obvious. If they're on the outside looking in for the playoffs. Cashman, Boone, entire operation, it's time for change. It's time to blow this this baby up from top to bottom. That's what conventional wisdom would tell you. But I think you and I both know the Yankees could miss the playoffs. Like two years ago, they could have missed the playoffs. I bet you they would have extended Aaron Boone. They would have kept everybody because that's how complacent and that's how content Mm -hmm. they are. Jacko, I hate saying this. I want to say worst case scenario is they make the playoffs and they bring everybody back. I like think if they miss the playoffs, they're still going to bring everybody back. That's oh, how messed up this
6: is. I I guarantee it. Whether they could win the World Series somehow miraculously, or they could miss the, they could come in last place, and ne- neither thing is going to lead to any changes. I guarantee it. If they came in last place, nothing's going to change. You know, they, they they'll be like, well, we've got twenty five, and you know, people think, oh, well, Hal's going to go out and throw money at Otani. There is no scenario on the planet where Hal is giving Otani. 500 million dollar contract having just given judge what they gave judge there's no scenario where that's going to happen i don't know who the other big free agents are out there but i guarantee i got you news gonna for you for there aren't many there there's aren't not, many. It's this is not a, is not free a good class. free
0: agent class brian reynolds not going to be there nope. Rockfield Devers got
6: re-signed by the red sox it's so yep. and that's about it dude it's
0: not a great class right.
6: nope so I mean, I, I don't, you know, in two, this is what's so crazy. In 2017, they came out of nowhere and, like, overachieved. They go to the seventh game of the ALCS against the team that was cheating. And you had the baby bombers, you know, Sanchez. we were still high on Sanchez. You know, Judge was great. You were, you know, you had a lot of hope for the future. Like, look at this team. It was like, you know, in, in 95 when the Yankees got into the playoffs unexpectedly. And then it was like, now it's going to be '96, and we're going to have the dynasty with the baby bombers. And now here we are, six years later, and it's all been frizzled away. There's no, there's no hope now. There, what what hope do we have in terms of prospects? They sold us, you know, they sold us Volpe as the big thing in the off season, and he's been okay. But like, you know, Volpe by himself is not, you know, that's not the core four. That's the core one. If he pans out, right? So we judge in Volpe, and that's what we're going to get excited about now, going forward in the future. And, and their pitching staff, maybe, but still no offense. I, I mean, I in a competitive American League East where the you know the Blue Jays aren't going away, the Rays aren't going away, the Orioles are freaking good now, and the Red Sox are going to retool. So, like, I, I don't know what the hope is for the future. Jacko, this sucks, dude.
0: This is going to be a long summer. It's going to yeah. be a long summer. They're going to sucker us back in. You know it and I know it. But we know what the end result is going to be, and I right. think it makes it the worst part. Buddy, it's always good seeing you. Um, I hope you survived the Yukon National Championship, by the way. That must have that been a rough stretch for you. Yukon in early April well,
6: into I'm Yankees. Gonna, I'm, I'm gonna let everybody in on a little secret. I'm I'm not the Yukon hater that I, I once was and I kind of like softened
0: hur- up. Interesting. Okay. I, at
6: my old age, I've softened on Yukon one. Two, I like Hurley because I had a, a bunch of good friends of mine from high school, went to Seton Hall and knew him a little bit from Seton Hall including one buddy of mine who walked on to the 89 uh, uh, championship, not championship, but runner-up team. So I was always a big Seton Hall fan at at Holy Cross, uh, living vicariously through them. So because of Seton Hall and Hurley, I I wasn't, you know, was I overjoyed? No, but I I didn't hate it as much as I would have in the past. So that was okay.
0: Uh, I'm right. right there with you. Because I yeah. was always the big UConn hater. And I knew Dan. Well, you're a Syracuse guy. You Wagner. have to
6: be a UConn hater. That's well, listen, thrive, of course. You know.
0: Like, it's n- it's never going to be family. It's never no. going to be kumbaya with UConn. But I do like Hurley a lot. He's a really good guy. He's an unbelievable head coach. He's easy to root for. So I, I was happy for Dan, Jacko. I can't say I was happy Absolutely. for UConn. I was happy for Dan, you
6: know? Right. Well, you know, my well, daughter buddy- is a junior in high school. And she's looking at schools. And one of them is UConn. So, you know, I can on oh, this podcast in the future wearing the in the Yukon hat and the Yukon sweatshirt and uh, you know, Gino Oriyama jersey or something. You never know what could happen. So
0: comes full circle. <laughs> Listen, it's always great catching up. Uh by the way, you gotta see when it comes out the Yogi Berra documentary. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, excited was, for that. It was so freaking good. The Reggie one was good, not great. Yeah, I've been meaning opinion. to watch
6: that. Yeah, I've been meaning to well, watch that. We'll have to get your
0: scatting report the next time you come on on both Reggie and Yogi. But you're gonna love Yogi. It's amazing, dude. Sounds good. I'll I'll check it out. Hi, right, Jacko. See you, buddy. Good times. See ya. That was needed. Always fun with our guy Jacko. Trivia time. Larry, please, for the love of God, take it easy on me, pal. Take it easy on me. I need a mulligan. I need I, I need an easy one tonight. So I hope you deliver. What do you got, pal?
4: JJ Larry. In 2017, two guys hit four home runs in a game. Can you name them? The second one is, who's the last pitcher to strike out 10 or more batters in his major league debut? Hint, it's an American League pitcher. I'm
0: out. All right, Larry, I'm going to start with question two. Last American League pitcher to strike out 10 or more in his debut.
3: This is a tough one.
0: This is a tough one because strikeouts are just so arbitrary. So you don't know if it's going to be a brand name or it's not going to be a brand name guy. I'm taking a shot at this one, Stefan. Is it Blake Snell? Mm. Is not Blake Snell. Am I like in the right ballpark or do I got to go further back?
1: You actually got to go further up. It's very recent. Very recent, within the last five years. Now with the strikeout
0: numbers, it's crazy. Within the last five years. Okay.
1: Correct, in the last five.
0: Within the last five years.
3: Ten strikeouts in a debut. Is it Shohei Ohtani? Mm. It is not Shohei Ohtani.
0: I'm going to take one more guess at this, and I'm going to get a hint. Last five years, debut, 10 or more strikeouts. Is it Mike Clevenger? Mike Clevenger. All right, give me a hint here, Steph.
1: Interesting you say Mike Clevenger. He played for Mike Clevenger's former team.
0: Okay, so the Cleveland Indians, Guardians. I like that. I like that. Is it uh, Zach Plesack?
7: <clears throat> it's
0: not Plesak. All right. I- I'm taking one more guess at this, and-, and then I'm waving the white flag. Is it Shane, my favorite, Justin Bieber? Uh, Who is it on Cleveland?
1: Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie. 2020.
0: I mean, I basically gave you every Cleveland pitcher, and I couldn't name Tristan McKenzie, who, by the way, I'm Solfiac because he's on my fantasy team, uh, killing me right now. All right. Rough one, Larry. 2017, two guys, 40 bombs or four bombs. Hmm.
7: Hmm. 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 Hmm.
3: Four bombs in a game.
0: Guess one, Joey Gallo.
7: It's
0: not Joey Gallo. Okay. Guess two, J.D. Martinez. Proud of myself for that one. Proud of myself for that one. Because I remember that game. Four homer game. J.D. Martinez is one. I want to say the other guy's on the Dodgers.
3: I do. Is it Cody Bellinger?
0: Mm. Uh, give me a hint here, Steph, for this second guy, or I could be here forever.
1: NL Central. Uh, you might... He was an all-star once. He's not a household name for sure. But he, he he's not like... Uh, He's a he's a middle of pack kind of guy. What, t- middle what of pack team? Middle of kind of Will play. that give it away? Um, I don't think it will, but let's try it.
3: The Reds. Is it Suarez? Mm.
0: It's not Suarez. It's not Joey Votto because the way you phrased it basically told you all you needed to know. Cincinnati Reds.
3: It's not Todd Frazier. He was gone. Oh, is it Jesse Winker?
7: Mm.
0: I'm taking one more guess. One more guess and I'm done. Is it Adam Duvall? Mm. All right. I have no idea. Who the hell is it?
1: Scooter Gnett.
0: Oh, i never Never. You could have given me a 100 guesses, and I never, ever, 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 ever would have given you Scooter Jeanette, or Jeanette, however the hell you say his name. All right. Before we say goodbye, good job, Larry. Those are really tough. Those are really, really tough. Uh Jeff Money, let's hear him.
2: What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Fixes before Friday and Saturday NBA plays. On Friday the 5th, I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics minus the one and a half over the Philadelphia 76ers. and game number two, I'm going to take the Denver Nuggets plus the three and a half over the Phoenix Suns. And on Saturday the 6th, I'm going to go with our New York Knicks plus the three and a half over the Miami Heat. Again, three plays, two on Friday. We're going to go with the Celtics minus the one and a half, the Nuggets plus the three and a half. And on Saturday, we're going to take the Knicks plus the three and a half. And everyone can all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, let's see if we got some family plays. I'm out of here. Let's go.
0: Well, I can tell you this, Jeff Money. Without hesitation, I will be on the Philadelphia 76ers grabbing a two against the Celtics. The Celtics are a team that does not handle prosperity well. I think you will have a juiced-up Philly crowd. And Bede, the MVP, all the storylines there. I will be on the Philadelphia 76ers. And on Saturday, I kind of think the Knicks are alive, getting a three and a half. I really do. Line's gone from three to three and a half. Public is in on Miami. I think the Knicks are going to play well. They've been a really good road team all year. And I like the idea of getting three and a half points. Points in this series, I think, is a good thing. Both dogs are covered here. Miami in game one and game two. I think the Knicks cover in game number three. All right. On that note, we'll be back Saturday. Special Knicks Heat Saturday show. Job well done by Stefan. We'll be back. Join us on Twitter Spaces right after the game. On that note. JJ, signing off. Enjoy your, what, weekend, your Friday, your Saturday, and get me any good recommendations for State College PA because I'm going to be there for the next two days. So anything I need to do in State College, hit me up, Jonathan the Discord on Twitter. JJ out. Enjoy your weekend. Be good, everybody. We'll talk Saturday.